chilling new original docuseries on Paramount Plus. Why did he kill his family? The answer lies across the ocean in a woman named Sylvie. To the can model. Where desire leads to deception. I ended up spending twelve and fifteen thousand dollars a day. It was addictive. I can't get you out. And obsession leads to murder. Who did this to your family? You can't really maintain a fantasy forever. Control all desire. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Wolverine 24 7 podcast, your audio source for all things Michigan football, basketball, and recruiting. I'm your host, Zach Shaw. Steve Lorenz here with me. Got a got a loaded show, as promised the other day, football only. Uh, <laughs> we had a little spring review episode lined up, but um, there was a couple breaking news points. So we'll talk about that. So, so the rough agenda, we'll talk about Xavier Worthy asking out of his letter of intent. Uh, we'll discuss Matt. Maddie Dudek going to Mississippi State. We'll talk about that a little bit more succinctly just because I, you know, the recruiting pod the other day um, talked about Courtney Morgan and, and kind of the what he would bring. Um, and then we'll talk about the spring game and whether Michigan missed the mark on making that thing as private and closed as possible. And we'll we'll discuss why we both think it did miss the mark. A uh, little spoiler there for you. And then I went and fielded a bunch of questions. And we also have a couple quick lightning round things. So going to try to get through it all as, as um, not as quickly as possible, but, but got a lot to hit on. So we'll get right into it. Xavier Worthy, uh, top 100 signee for Michigan. So not just a recruit, tweeted about an hour before we hit record uh, that, that he had asked to leave his national letter of intent with Michigan and will reopen his recruitment. Uh, pretty strong, you know, I, I guess we don't need to speak for him, but but pretty strong vibes that Texas is is where he he will be um, heading next. Uh, don't see this too much, Steve, where, where a guy who is signed before he even arrives to campus uh, asks out of their national letter of intent. If you do see it, it's often due to coaching changes. Um, so this is a little bit different. Now he did cite due to circumstances beyond my control. I don't know if that's him saying that, or if that's the truth doesn't really, doesn't really matter. He's asking out of this national letter of intent um, will not be a part of Michigan's 2021 recruiting class, which before worthy left, it was ranked number 10 in the country. Um, they had five top 100 recruits. Now they have four. So Steve, your your immediate reaction this this kind of started to become something we felt was inevitable by by Wednesday night and by Thursday afternoon, uh, the other shoe had dropped. So he was someone that was originally going to enroll early, and then he didn't. And then there was lots of talk about what what that entails or or whatever. And then ultimately, he doesn't end up arriving to campus at all. Your initial reaction or thought about what this means. Uh, I mean, layman, like the most simple way to put it, you know, Michigan loses one of their best signees, right? I mean, he, I think he's a guy, one of the more exciting receivers they've recruited, not just under Harbaugh, but in recent memory, you know, I think the guy's got some big time talent. I think he's a guy who could have played right. I think he would have played immediately if he had been able to enroll early. So for context, for our listeners, he runs a 10.55 100 meter dash. He actually ran that as a sophomore in high school and, and he has a 21, 21, um, uh, 200 meter dash. I mean, he is, it's, it's not 
too hyperbolic to say he is maybe one of the three or four fastest high school football recruits in the country for this cycle. Um, hard to keep that kind of speed on the bench for very long. Right. So there's that. You know, I think overall, I mean, I don't, you know, I don't know as far, you know, it's obviously on the field. It, it could potentially hurt Michigan. The other, the other flip side um, just felt like it was, I just felt like this was, I, I don't want to say inevitable, but it's just, it just seemed there was always something going on in this one. Uh, you had him visiting Alabama at the end of the cycle, still conflicting information about, you know, at the time Alabama had four top 100 receivers already committed. If he was even a take for them, if he had been, he may have signed with them. It's hard to say. Like that's one of those, it depends on who you talk to type deals. Sure. Michigan admissions does not feel like, you know, the early enrollee thing fell through at the last second. Not really sure why. Only thing I can say that has, has nothing on Harbaugh or the football program. I think they did everything they could to get that done and get him up there. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's it's a significant loss for Michigan from a talent standpoint. You know, I, it's just kind of funny to me that – and I'm not, this is not a knock on, like, anybody in our network or anything at all. Uh, they're just doing their job. But just kind of funny to me that – other team sites in the network were aware of this 48, 72 hours ago. How do you, how do you get a heads up on that when other schools aren't supposed to be talking to these kids or have any communication of them with them of any kind when they're bound to a letter of intent? Um, If I'm Michigan, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to do something about this, not necessarily to, to, they're not going to get, he's not coming back. Like that's, you know, sure. that's, but, that's but about the tampering. Absolutely. I mean. Absolutely. Yeah. Michigan needs to, this, you need to do something about this. This is ridiculous. Uh, you know, whether the kid wanted to be there or not, that's a whole different, you know, and if he really didn't want to be there or it wasn't going to whatever, that's fine. But uh, there's just no doubt. That's what was going on here. Let's just be clear. Right. <laughs> like I said, others in our network who, again, do an amazing job. It's that's that's their job to get information. Uh, we're aware of this before we really even were. That something doesn't sit right if you're Michigan, and that's the case. So, you know that that's kind of the, the other thing I'd really say with this one. You know, if I'm Michigan, I'm I'm. You can't go down quietly about something like this because then it could just happen again and again, and again and. With the 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 way that recruiting and all this goes now, nothing will probably get done about it anyway. Uh, doesn't really seem like the NC the NCAA is more concerned about uh, IP addresses for the portal. Yeah, we're not we're not supposed to have access to that portal. But yeah, but but yet you know <laughs> everything else that goes on across the country uh, as far as recruiting goes. I mean, it's it's becoming a borderline joke, and uh, actually, it's been a joke if we're being honest. So. This another just another example where, yeah, like you said at the be- at the outset, it does look like Texas will be where he ends up. That's where I expect him to go. Um, you remember Sarkeesian was the offensive coordinator yeah. at Alabama when Worthy was visiting and being recruited by the Tide. I mean, it's just <laughs> put two and two together there. Um, sounds like communication there has not 
waned or faded at all, even though it's supposed to. So, you know, that's the other end of it. That to me, that's not on Harbaugh and Michigan. Like, what are what are they supposed to do? You know. So, but overall, yeah, I mean, he's he's a hell of a football player. Very talented kid. Um, you know, be really interested to see how his college career pans out for sure. Yeah. I mean, it, as we mentioned a moment ago, kind of has speed and elusiveness that is really hard to keep out of the game. Um, and so, so I expect him to, to be really good. I mean, his 24 um, seven, I guess, scouting report comparable was Deshaun Jackson. So he's that kind of explosive playmaker. Uh, certainly, as you kind of mentioned, I mean, every part of this recruitment, it got to the point where I was like, I think two months ago, I, I might've even said, I, there's no way he ends up on campus. I mean, this is, this is too much. Um, it just, felt like, it just, it just yeah. felt like there were always something. There was always, there's been something going on in that recruitment since well before signing day, like I said. And, and you look at someone like JJ McCarthy, he committed in 2019 like May, 2019. And there was literally not a peep since. So, so some recruitments are a little bit more back and forth. Some recruitments are not, uh, his was of the more back and forth. And, and as you said, there was always something, it was, it, it was never as easy as, as it could have been for Michigan. I agree with you on the, on the tampering. I, I don't know if Michigan needs to be like waving the tampering flag because I, I have to imagine similar to like negative recruiting. I have to imagine every school is doing it a little bit, but it, it can't be this obvious. And, and, you know, I'm, I'm pretty in favor of the immediate eligibility, one-time eligibility transfers, but I, I do feel bad for schools that have to like fend off their star players getting recruited. Uh, you know, a women's basketball example, um, Ohio state's one of their star players entered the portal. And like five days later, they were committed to Kentucky or it's not Kentucky, Connecticut, excuse me, UConn. Um, and it was like, huh, she made up her mind that quickly, huh? I mean, I guess it's possible because UConn is, is amazing at women's basketball, but, you know, I, I just, I, I, I would hate to get to a point now where like every time a player does well uh, for a, for like, let's say like a second tier team, maybe not like the Alabama, Clemson, Ohio States, you know, the next group or even, even the group below that, you know, it's like every time a player has a big game, they have to like, the coaches have to like say, now don't, don't listen to, you know, X coach if they start calling. Cause it, I mean, it's pretty clearly written that, that that's against the rules. So you could argue, well, you know, tampering should be allowed, or you could argue, well, recruits should be paid. You could argue, I mean, all these rules. Yeah. You could set, you could do some hand wringing and say, these rules aren't necessary, but they're, they're the written rules. And it's, in my mind, they should be followed. I mean, it's certainly, certainly you don't want to run into a situation where the parity in, in college football is getting worse. Now, Michigan to Texas wouldn't indicate that necessarily, but, but if, I don't know, I, I think our listeners can grasp the slippery slope if tampering just becomes accepted, normalized, becomes just kind of a way things go. I just don't think they should just let it slide by. I agree with you as far as like you know, nothing public 
right? Like nothing outrageous, but yeah, it doesn't need to be like an open letter, but maybe let the NCAA know like, Hey, we have pretty strong evidence that there was tampering here. Right. And again, it's like, nothing's probably going to come of it. You know, like I said, Yeah, but, but if you say, if you say something enough, something will come of it. Right. I know. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, uh, as far as the loss, he and Giles Jackson are now both out of the class. I, I, I'm of the belief in football that one player doesn't, especially a player who hasn't played any college football doesn't necessarily completely derail a team season. Uh, but it's certainly a big loss. And, 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 you know, Michigan, I think they like what they have with Ronnie Bell. I think they like what they have with Cornelius Johnson, Roman Wilson, AJ Henning, Mike Sainer still. And so far they like what they have in Andrew Anthony and Christian Dixon, but um, you know, Jackson and, and worthy were two guys who probably, I mean, Henning was right, right in that mix. And, and Wilson was as well, but I mean, they were representing a new wave of like elite speed coming to Michigan. So I don't think the wide receiver group is doomed. Uh, just like, I don't think worthy leaving is going to be like the unraveling of Michigan's 2021 recruiting class. Like I would anticipate no one else asks out of their national letter of intent or anything like that. Silver um, lining here is that Andrew Anthony apparently had a very, very good spring camp right out of the get-go and you know worthy a lot more highly regarded in the recruiting world yes of course yeah. but it sounds like andrew anthony has like that they're more than happy with where that's at uh this early on so okay so there it's is that too, not saying that not, not replacement or uh, it's don't it's not a lot yeah yeah but just <laughs> worth noting that he had a an excellent uh, spring camp from everything I've been told. And that was being said before Jackson transferred and before Worthy asked out of his NLI. So it's not Michigan trying to spin the narrative or anything. Um, and that's not what we're trying to do either. Certainly uh, it's, it's a significant loss, but I, I mean, it's one out of hundred and no, I guess a hundred one out of 85 ish scholarship players. So anyway, um, we will see how Worthy does. We will see, how Michigan does. I wouldn't expect them to suddenly pursue a receiver in the transfer portal or anything to replace him. I, I think, I think they feel good about their first or second string, but obviously it does put a little bit more emphasis on how Michigan recruits the 2022 class and wide receivers. Um, you know, they brought in three, this class now it's two. So obviously uh, we'll need to, they will need to add to those numbers and try to find Someone that can do what Worthy was going to do. Anyway, another departure. Uh, this one, maybe, uh, I think it was met with mixed reviews from Michigan fans. Maybe that's not the right way to describe it, but Maddie Dudek recruiting. See, it was his title the recruiting director? Yeah, he's Michigan? pretty much recruiting coordinator, director of recruiting. I don't know okay. how they phrase it, but that's he's pretty much the guy that ran the recruiting department. He will be heading to Mississippi State. I don't really cover recruiting. Our recruiting pod did talk about um, Morgan, who former Michigan player who is leaving a pretty similar job that Dudek had at Fresno State, and will be doing it at his alma mater. Uh, Steve, your thoughts on on Dudek? I, I know fans kind of often blamed him. I don't know if it's I don't know enough if to know if it's fair or unfair, but they often blamed him for some of the recruiting. Uh, but obviously, he's getting hired immediately by another power five school. So your thoughts on, on the departure and what it means for Michigan. 
I think Michigan would have preferred that both guys had stayed on. I don't think it was a, maybe it was a pressure move to get, to move Dudek out. It didn't really feel that way. Um, you see all these programs across the country are expanding their recruiting departments, not contracting them. Uh, but might've been a deal where Morgan didn't really want to be, wasn't being hired to be a number two guy necessarily. Now, Sam knows, has a lot of knowledge on Morgan and his, his abilities and, and his history. I didn't know that much about him from the recruiting standpoint. So our recruiting pod uh, for Morgan specifically would, would probably be the place to go. We talk about it at length. I know one thing for me that stood out about his resume, extensive experience in the agent world and with the NIL stuff, you know, I think having a guy like that is right. like basically a must at this point, whether he's your head of recruiting or just somewhere in the department. Uh, I think you have to have at least at least one guy uh, who has experience there. So so there is that from from a Dudek standpoint. Yeah, I mean, scapegoat is really the word that comes to mind when I think of Dudek. I mean, I, I, he he kind of caught the wrath. I'd say this. He didn't, he, he was not afraid to respond to that, like that wing of, and I would just say Twitter really. Yeah. The vocal minority. The, the, yeah. The wing of the wing of fans on Twitter. Yeah. Who like to um, find individuals, let's say to, to place, you know, blame for something on every time something goes wrong. He got a lot of that. And I think it, it, manifested itself once he started to respond to people a little bit. I mean, I got to be honest, like it'd be really hard not to respond to some of these people sometimes. Right. That's one of the, it's, we don't deal with it that often writing, but when it does pop up, it's sometimes it's really hard not to respond to some of these idiots out there. Um, Really Dudek was one of the biggest reasons why Michigan was able to keep this 21 class intact. Hmm. Yeah, they went two and four and they still signed a top 10 class and had virtual, I think a couple guys decommit, right. One of which I don't think they really cared about. Um, you know, they were able to keep all of these top guys locked in through national signing day worthy, notwithstanding and nothing sure. to, like that's a different, now that was a different deal after you sign them. Like, um, so yeah, I mean, he was a big part of that. Review most of the reviews that we got on him from parents and, and families and stuff were were pretty positive, very positive actually. Uh, seemed to have a really good relationship with a lot of the kids and their families. At the same time, I, I my suspicion is maybe Michigan saw areas where they can improve some things. Mm-hmm. Morgan sounds like a guy who has a boatload of relationships across the country, California being one area where he's very well known, very well respected by a lot of the top programs in the, in the, you know, obviously Southern California being where the concentration of talent is. So, you know, there, there is that. And uh, another alum, former player, I think there's always a plus side in bringing a guy back who understands what Michigan is all about. You know, I, my, my honest suspicion, I, I think do that. I think everyone's maybe feels like they won in this deal. I, he may have been somebody who needed to change his seat. Like, was not too upset about finding a change of scenery. Sure. Uh, so, you know, like I said, we'll see if like it, it, this is the thing. Yeah. 
it's hard to like look at an individual recruitment and say the director of recruiting won you that recruitment, which is a lot of what people tried to put on him really only when they would lose a guy, not when they would get a guy. So that's where it'll be interesting to see some of the differences will be with Morgan and and Dudek is, you know, I know one thing Sam specifically mentioned that you don't really think much about those connections that he has in a lot, in a lot of ways, this is something I've always been big about with Michigan Maybe this is something that they weren't doing that well. You have to have good intel to know that you're not wasting your time with a kid who may tell you he's interested when the coaches are on the phone with him, but in reality, he might not be that. It, you know, it's hard for a kid to say, please stop calling me. I'm not interested in your school. Right. <laughs> right. Like it's, it's, it's not really how it works a lot of times. Um, so his hire could be a, an area that could be an area where they improve a little bit where it's like, you know, yes, this kid has interest or there's an in with this. Guy. Like could eliminate some of that work that the assistant coaches may have to do to get to the, the bottom of that type of stuff. So there is that, that was one thing Sam mentioned specifically. I thought that stood out, but you know, feels like there's an uh, opportunity for Michigan to improve, improve here. I just don't know enough about Morgan specifically to know how quickly or, you know, outside of the connections and stuff that he has, uh, where this will happen. But like I said, I, I suspect that both parties maybe feel a little bit better today than they did yesterday. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. I think, I think you're absolutely right about <laughs> whenever something goes wrong, people look up who's responsible and they don't necessarily look it up when something goes right. I mean, the fact is uh, I think it's frankly, I would argue it's miraculous that Michigan ended up with a top 10 class. They, they didn't, I don't know if they deserve the top 10 class in terms of what they've put on the field the past, not just last season, but the season before as well. Um, you know, so it's, there were some things that were going right. I actually agree. I think there was plenty that was going wrong as well. Um, anyways, not really my area of expertise. I, I think the big thing is, is, you know, my question is how, how, how well will Morgan identify the talent before everyone else does? Cause that's such a huge part. If you're, if you're not a team that's in the playoff, well, I, I would say every year, but not in the playoff at all. I mean, you have to, you have to be an expert, expert evaluator to get, to get kind of the hidden gem recruits. And so that's, that's something that, that, I'm kind of looking at is like seeing like what, what kind of path, what kind of tendencies do they go toward? Uh, anyways, that is going to do it for our discussions on Dudek and Worthy. We're going to take a quick break on the other side. Did Michigan miss the mark with its spring football approach along with a couple lightning round questions and then fielding questions from you guys. This is the Wolverine 24 seven podcast. Baseball has begun, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today in 5, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Samphill, every Monday through Saturday as we deliver all of your fantasy baseball needs in just five minutes. We'll break down the biggest performers, news, and prospects who could make an impact this season. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found. CBS Wednesday. We have so many cool, diverse people from different backgrounds, different beliefs, different upbringings, and it just keeps growing. I feel it in my soul. I'm a 
citizen of the United States. I'm a hustler. I'm a big Taylor Swift fan. I'm the queen of the tribe. I am playing whatever role I gotta play. I'm gonna play this game for speed. I ain't going down like no punk. A new Survivor, Wednesday on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Welcome back. Thanks for waiting. So I kind of wanted to discuss it the other day and we said, well, we'll wait, we'll wait for to do a football podcast, but um, Michigan held a spring game. It did not invite the media. It did not invite fans. It didn't have a direct tie to some of one, uh, one of the players. I mean, it was meant to be like family. I know some people who weren't family also got to go, but, but you're talking about maybe like 400 people were in attendance I think that is a huge, huge disservice to Michigan fans and Michigan players when other schools are not doing that. Other schools aren't making it secret. They didn't stream it, which, you know, there was some talk about, oh, they didn't know when they were going to do the game. And so uh, the Big Ten slots, Big Ten network slots were full. Eh, not hard to. Yeah, come on. Offer more. <laughs> and I mean, they, they offered what a 75 second highlight video and about 30 seconds of it was them like approaching the field and like lining up for plays. It's, I just feel bad for Michigan fans. Um, I feel like they, they got at, at, in a, in a spring where Michigan was supposed to be turning a new leaf, getting more youthful, getting, you know, building some excitement again after a, a really deflating season what are you hiding? What are you, what's the secrecy for? You know, and there's just enough plausible reasons, you know, there is a pandemic going on. Um, you know, you could, you could argue that maybe, maybe make some case that the big 10 network streaming, whatever the propri- proprietary info. I don't, I don't buy that. Michigan continues to hold its fans at an arm's length. This is not the first time they they've stopped a lot of fan events, actually, that used to be staples under, you know, Lloyd Carr, Brady Hoke. I mean, my favorite example is Brady Hoke used to come to the coach's radio show for an hour and just hang out and like meet people during the commercial breaks and and join the conversation the whole time. Jim Harbaugh's pretty much phone. I mean, obviously, last year, everyone was phoning it in. But but in 2019, I mean, there was there was discussions about like, do they keep doing this show? Because even though it's written in his contract, he was calling for like five minutes and people were going to pizza house expecting to see him. And then he wouldn't show up. And so this is not the first time. I do think this is the most egregious time that Michigan is holding fans at arm's length, kind of dissociating themselves from the fans. And that is the, well, I don't think that's a very wise decision on their part. Because if you hold fans at arm's length, what happens when you stumble or what happens when you fall? None of those fans are going to come catch you. I mean, there is not a lot of support from Michigan fans for, for this coaching administration, for these players. I mean, I, I simply tweeted out that Cade McNamara was cited as a starter by Michigan's quarterbacks coach. And people are like, I can't, this is going to be such a waste of a season, blah, blah, blah. I mean, there's a lot of vitriol and maybe that's what Michigan was hiding from with this secret spring game, but that's not how you do it. I mean, think about Arizona. They hired Jed fish. It was a very controversial hire. Oh, you know, I know Michigan fans like Jed fish, but you know, he doesn't have 
that much head coaching experience. Uh, fans were pretty mad about it. They might still be mad about it, but he, his response is he literally opened up every single practice to fans. And he basically gave the media full access. Now, as far as the media is concerned, this isn't a media complaints. I obviously have my complaints about, you know, covering a team like Michigan, but, but I'm, I'm over it at this point. They haven't opened practice in a decade. They haven't, um, you know, they, they got rid of Michigan media day, which was an opportunity to tell the stories of players who, might not be like the typical interview subjects. I think most reporters are kind of over it at this point, but, but the fans, I mean, what, what does Michigan gain from keeping fans at arm's length? Less people tweet angrily if things go wrong. I mean, it's a spring game. It's very hard to look bad in the spring game. And so, and even if you do, you can just say, well, they're, they're playing each other. I mean, it's, it's just puzzling, and and I think ultimately, and, and I'm going to let you expand on this, Steve, as well, I think it, it shows a very unconfident team right now. I mean, if Michigan, you know, if you ask former players, like, what's, what's the difference for winning on the road or beating Ohio State, some things that have plagued Michigan the last few years, because otherwise, I mean, the, the, there have been a lot more wins than losses, but obviously the road games, the bowl games in Ohio State, and the thing they talk about is confidence. Michigan doesn't go in there confident that they're going to beat Ohio State. They don't go in there confident that they're going to smack Wisconsin on the road. And so how exactly does closing a spring practice, I mean, posting, what, four 30-second videos throughout the spring, um, not making assistant coaches, you know, not letting them have press conferences, things like that. I don't... I feel like that sends a message of lacking confidence and it just feels bad for the players. Cause now they don't, they, I mean, they view the fans as the enemy because that's, that's kind of what Michigan is suggesting here. So I thought it was pretty lame move. I know some schools didn't even have spring games, so they're not alone, but a lot of schools, Michigan plays every year did have spring games. They did have fans in attendance or they will. Um, and they are keeping the team as accessible as possible to the fans. And, and so I don't know, I, I, I hiding, maybe Michigan wasn't hiding, but it, it, the read from the outside, which is what we're resigned to is that they were hiding. And I think that sends a, a brutal message of fans being at arm's length. And then I think it also tells the players, the fans aren't here to support you. You know, you're, you're just kind of on your own, which is, which is a bummer. I mean, college football is supposed to be fun. Why is it? Why is it so hard for Michigan to have fun? Anyway, Steve, your thoughts? Yeah, so disconnect was the word I use. I don't know whenever we first start talking about this. I the only, I mean, the only thing I, but not even sure how I feel about this. The only thing I can think of is that their their angle is to try to take as much pressure off of the players as they possibly can. Uh, as far as you know, if there had been a spring game and say player a dropped a few passes or something that he's already, he's got to listen to it all off season from his own fan base uh, on the flip side. Seems like that's playing like coaching scared a little bit, doesn't it? Well, I mean, I mean that, well, that's what that, I was going to say. I'm not advocating for that position. I'm, I'm just trying to think of why they would take this approach. My initial thought, the biggest thing, those videos they would post are to me, they're just a slap in the face. I think they're, they're, it's just you it's ridiculous 
You have I fans. think I counted. They did a video, and you could see seven plays in the video. Seven yeah. plays from and, a two-hour spring game. And not you'd see if seven plays, but they were from like such a zoomed point of view that you weren't even really getting anything out of that. You know, even when you you see a a back cut through the hole and get clear, it's like you didn't even know anything else that was going on. I thought they were slapping the face for fans. Um, and again, I don't think nobody, nobody, I don't, I don't think anyway, asking for the floodgates to be open here. But sure. yeah, some yeah. kind of, some kind of, you know, connect. There's, there's just no, there's no connection between the players and the fans, really, and the staff and the fans right now at all. I mean, you think about, and again, not a media complaint necessarily, but the only access anyone's had to any of the assistant coaches has been through Michigan's own like sponsor yeah, the team pod, sponsored this team podcast. sponsored podcast you know yeah. and I just think I there's just that just doesn't sit right you know it's um I think I th- still think most fans and this is where the vocal minority maybe continues to kind of win out a little bit I think most fans want to get to know these new coaches get maybe I think it, at well, least, a couple of them are like beloved alumni. Right, too. That and it's too, not right, even like, right, this is like right. controversial hires that everyone's pissed about. Like I thought right. Mike Hart was a completely celebrated hire. Right. I thought, you know, bringing Ron Bellamy in. I mean, right. I, eh. I, but that being said, this, this sort of deal predates Harbaugh, although it was, I think it's gotten worse as far as the, just the closed off. Yeah. I just, like I said, I think what happens, I think it almost kind of creates a vacuum where, and this is why this is kind of the what I had told you from the get go. It creates a situation where you talk about no media day, where you don't really, there's no opportunity for us or anybody to really get to know who these players are off the field, and it creates a situation where the fans kind of end up just viewing these kids as like just football players when there's such a clamoring nowadays to, to look at these guys as more than that. And as they should, you know, that was one of the best parts of back in the day, doing the media days was doing the, the stories on like the, you know, maybe the freshman linebacker who, you know, probably wasn't going to play this year, but maybe playing a couple of years to kind of, you know, introduce them to the fan base, let them get to know these people a little bit. And then, well, in other schools, it's not even just media. I mean, they literally, they legitimately have fan days. Where like you can go and like get some autographs or like meet somebody. And now obviously those are not happening during COVID, but I mean Michigan hasn't had those since I started covering the team. And it's, you know, a lot some schools they open like multiple practices per year. They open up a couple in the fall. I mean, they it's just so bizarre that Michigan, and this is not something that is new. I think you're right. I mean, it's not it's not like the last two years. I mean, we're talking about the last decade, really. But I don't, I don't get it. I, there is nothing to be gained from keeping fans at arm's length because, you know, think about like, say, say Michigan plays Washington and, and uh, they lose because Cade McNamara throws an interception on the final drive. No one's going to say, oh, I, you know, I met Cade one time here and had this really great interaction with him. I, I feel bad for him. Obviously he's in a tough spot. No, it's going to be, quarterback number 12 threw an interception and made my day worse. I hate him. 
I mean, it just dehumanizes. Which is which teams. is the stuff that you see on social media. Yes, maybe some maybe think that what Zach just said is exaggerating, but that is like legit. That's the type of stuff you see. Uh, and again, it's all social media. It's all keyboard. You know, not having to say it to their face type stuff. But but I think it's gotten to the point now where that's going to happen no matter what. So there's no reason for for there to be this like big chasm between. Don't take it out on the good fans, right? I mean, pro, you know, not program. that there's like good or bad fans, but there are fans who like want to support this team, and Michigan's making it very difficult for right. anyone to support this team right now. I agree. I think it's just kind of a, a sad situation, and 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 maybe maybe because expectations are lower, I'm not necessarily. It's just, but this has been. This is how it's been. This is how it was when they were like winning a lot too you know and every think, single reporter i know when they heard that there would be no spring game and that fa- or that there would be no public viewing of the spring game every single reporter said of course not of course there isn't i mean again i don't want to act like michigan's the only school doing this there were there were a couple others that did but well look at look at how accessible ohio state is look at how many times ryan days either at events or meeting with the media or you know, speaking to fans at, at rallies, things like that. Look at look at how accessible the players are there. It's just, I, I don't think it's doing Michigan any favors. If if anything, I think it's making the the program, and I, I, I guess less likable. Is that the right phrase to use? I mean, it's there's not a lot of people in Michigan's corner right now. I mean, maybe they show up in September, but that's kind of a gamble. Is that like, oh, we can do whatever we want people fans will still buy tickets. I mean, maybe they do, but uh, certainly once the losses start coming, I don't, I don't think people are going to be there to like pick Michigan and up and, and support them. And like, I don't right. know, make them feel better. <laughs> well, it doesn't even, it, it, it they're not, um, there's not even being the, like the opportunity to even be excited is not really even being allowed almost, I guess is a bet. Cause there's nothing, yeah. <laughs> there's nothing to go off of outside of, and again, just to be honest, the canned responses that we get yep. and media availabilities and stuff, are, those are never going to excite anybody. Well, take Angel Anthony. You yeah. mentioned he's so had, had a, a good, good spring. spring. How do you, nobody, but but it's like people have to trust us. That, that and, and frankly, <laughs> after last season, when they talked so highly about this player and that player and, and no one looked any good, I wouldn't necessarily trust like the rumors and rumblings. Now I wouldn't say they're wrong. I mean, clearly they're not saying every player looks good, but at the same time, if we say Andrew Anthony had a good spring and fans roll their eyes, I don't blame them. They have literally no proof. Absolutely. And they have no I, reason to believe it. I'm with you. I'm with you. I mean, we, the site, I mean, I think there was hesitance to want to even report this spring if we heard that somebody was performing well because right. <laughs> of the response that with the uh, you know the assured response that we were going to get which uh it ended up not being as bad as i think we anticipated because there I th- again i think what i think happened is enough people were just yes yeah, like i think i wrote the article i don't know if we're going to discuss it or not but like the first thing i wrote after i was like it's just nice to talk football again i think a lot of people feel that way yeah. you know just be like it'd be more it'd be nicer to have tangible football that both we and they have seen that's why we're here right now (laughs) (laughs) well it's just it's uh, just very ironic because i think now the success of the basketball team obviously kind of suddenly you turn around and start talking about football some fans are gonna 
to say I'm going to wait till September, but I think this, this was a spring after last year and everything that went, I mean, there was an opportunity for Michigan to turn a new leaf, you know, come out really positive, just say like, Hey, you know, we, we stunk last year, but we're doing everything we can. I mean, there's, there's, there's a semblance of a likable comeback story. Now, is it for every fan? Of course not. Is it for media? <laughs> Definitely not. But there's something there. And, and I think some Michigan fans were looking for the light, you know, sh- show us the light, show us what's, what's new, what's exciting. And then Michigan responded by showing a 35 second video clip of the jerseys. I don't know. It's, I just can't get over those clips, man. Like I, like I, <laughs> like I said, I feel I, I, you know, somebody from the site inevitably will post it on the board and it's because there's nothing that, that this is it. And it's right down like the, what is it? The, the Kennedy film, the Zap Zapruder. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, that is like all of it's like overanalyzed, you know, where it's like, and I just, those videos are just, I, they are, man, to me, they're just kind of a slap in the face to the fans. It's just, if this is, this is the only access they're going to give fans, like just, why even put them out there? You know, I don't think those are pumping. Like, I guess the, the point being, my point being, the idea of those videos, I think, is to get people pumped up. I don't think they're really pumping anybody up. No, like, I not, really... not, not in, not when the context is, this is all you get. Right, exactly. If they were, <laughs> yes, if this, if this was an addition to like stuff, then maybe. But I just, at this point, you know, I don't think they're trying to, they're not pumping anybody up, so... So anyway, we got a few <laughs> we got a few things about spring ball that we're going to discuss. Uh, we'll do some three three quick lightning round questions, and then we will open up the mailbag and see what you guys asked. Uh, first, I think you and I actually have slightly different stances here. What is after spring ball, and 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 you know after we, what we just said, <laughs> kind of disqualifies a little bit of what we're saying, but we did hear plenty both both publicly on the record stuff, and then and then kind of the the rumor on the street. Uh, what is Michigan's best position group right now? Oh boy. Talent wise, it might be running back. Okay. Um, and that's where it's weird. It's like running back success depends partially on how the offensive line plays. Right. True. It's one of those things where like we may, we may talk in December, January next year, and the running backs didn't statistically perform well, but I think from a pure talent standpoint, I think with the two freshmen that they've brought in and even with the Charbonnet departure, I think running back is pretty high up there. If not at the top, I think, uh, yeah, I think, I, th- I think you thought I was going to say safety. Um, I did. Yeah. That I think it could be just depends on, if Brad Hawkins can rebound or not, everything sounds like Daxton Hill is playing the way that we've expected him mm-hmm. to play. Uh, right. So I think there's optimism there. And I think they're also optimistic, which has turned into a little bit of a debate on the boards. Like I think Michigan expects Brad Hawkins to rebound. He was an all pro football focus kid in 19. You know, I thought played, I don't know if he, I, I don't know if I would have considered him all conference myself, but right. I thought he played pretty well. I thought, I thought he played, his 2019 to me, I thought was a precursor to a very strong 2020. And instead we didn't, that did not happen like at all. Mm-hmm. I think Michigan thinks he rebounds. Now to me, the other player I think of when we always talk about rebound was Kalik Hudson. 
because he had that massive game against Minnesota a few years ago, looked like one of the best players in the country for like a two or three week stretch there. And then never, he, he had a rough year the year after that. And I think there was the talk that he would rebound in his senior year. And he did, he didn't play as bad as he did the year before, but he still didn't quite play up to the level he did for that three or four game stretch. Yeah. It was like a sturdy right. season. It wasn't so that, like an explosive one. So that's what I wonder is, is that what Haw- is that the Hawkins that we're going to see, or is he actually, could he not re- like rebound, but actually play better than he did in 2019. So I think safety's in the conversation because they also like the young guys that they have RJ Moten sounds like yes. he's going to be a guy. Uh, Makari page got a lot of playing time last year, which I think is, is always a good thing for a young player. So there's definitely talent there, but I think I would say running back, uh, you know, Blake Corum is another guy that got, got, we've gotten a lot of positive talk. That's one guy fans may have a little insight in. Cause it seems like he was in all of those videos that they, yeah. Yeah. He's could been kinda, in a lot of photos. Yeah, yeah. If, you, if you splice those together, you've got like a good 12 second clip of Blake Corum doing a few <laughs> things this spring so uh maybe some visual there that makes it look like but he's also well, hey they're that, not putting they're not putting the third string guy up right. there for 12 seconds right, right. so 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 <laughs> i think there's some positives there for sure and then also like i said i think both edwards and dunlap who's i think yeah. never going to get talked about enough unless he actually ends up you know becoming the, the guy if, if someday if he maybe is uh has a better college career he's just always going to be a guy that's never going to get talked about as much because it's He's the other guy that got recruited with Donovan Edwards also had a really good spring. So I would actually say running back. I, yeah, I was either safety or running back. I was going to do whichever one you didn't say. Uh, I'm with you on the running backs though. I think, I mean, if Hassan Haskins third year starter, um, I mean, if he's your kind of baseline and, and everything else is gravy, I think you're in pretty good shape there. I'll go with safety. Uh, and and I, I'm, I'm kind of with you on Brad Hawkins. He did not, have a you know spectacular 2020 season um you could argue at times it, it simply just wasn't very good and i think he would even tell you that but i think you know daxon hill i think you mentioned moton page i mean two guys who i think if michigan had to throw those two out there i think they would actually feel pretty good you know, i think i think the there's some element of well, let's wait and see but i think Michigan's track record with second year defensive backs is, is stronger. Um, and I think, I think both of those, I mean, I've seen it just with my own eyes in games. I think they have the athleticism and the, the, the pop to be pretty stellar safeties. Um, and that, that makes things very interesting. I mean, they moved a couple guys from safety to corner because they felt like the room was pretty crowded. Uh, you know, they felt like they had a pretty strong two deep. Those are, those are little things that I think you can believe in. If, if, if players are moving away from one position, it probably means that position is well-equipped and Michigan feels that way, whether they're right. <laughs> I guess we'll wait and see, but I, I feel like it's a pretty talented group. And then number three, cause I'll probably do a position group power rankings. I think I'm actually going with offensive line for number three. It's, it's quietly an area. I don't think I'm not going into the summer off season thinking, I don't know what Michigan's going to be at offensive line. I mean, they had so many injuries last season that I think they, their hand was forced a little bit and they just had to look bad at times. But I also think they had some guys moving people, you know, they have the size, they have the recruiting talent, they have the experience. I mean, Jalen Mayfield's the only guy gone now, granted he's pretty good, but, but Michigan got to experience Mayfield only played two games last season. So they, 
a lot of guys got experience and I feel like that's one of the higher floor position groups on the team, even if maybe they don't have first round talent or first round, you know, top, top 100 draft pick capabilities, like a couple other position groups. Uh, next one. So we, we heard a bunch of different players had good springs. We just talked about how at some point, I think we, you and I are starting to tune that out a little bit and just say, you know what? I mean, until they, until they let us see for ourselves, how much can we really go off of? But of all the players who had good springs, my question is, which one do you, do you believe the most? Which one are you saying, yeah, you know what? I think that is someone who's going to uh, – breakout season might not be the right way to put it, but is going to be someone that's on the rise, that's ascending, uh, that, may, that may surprise people this fall. Is there any one of the pl- different players you've heard that you're kind of like, yeah, I, I, I really could see that? I'm not counting Hill. Sure. Right. Five star has played a lot. Yeah. I'm not going to count him. I'm going to go because Corum would kind of be the other guy maybe, but I'm going to go with someone else just for the sake of conversation. Uh, Trevor Keegan at left guard. Man, did he have a nice Penn state game? That's just like, and that's part Where of the, reason, the whole time. Oh man. We were talking about that on the, I don't know if we, maybe it was before we recorded, uh, but just like, yeah, where the hell, <laughs> like what, why was he not like, uh, it was bizarre. We had to watch it. We had like four pancakes in the first like eight plays or something. Um, I'm going to go with him. I think there are actually a couple candidates on the offensive line. Zinter being another guy, I think, yeah. you know, had extensive experience last year. Could play guard, could play center. Uh, Steve, have you heard of my availability theory? Oh, I believe that. I already, yeah, I have fully. He was the only freshman yep. made available this spring. Yep. Now, granted, he's a rising sophomore, but in terms of uh, who was available for press conferences, for those who don't know, my theory is that Michigan is is relatively they're not like 100% attached to it but the players that you get made available to first as media is the order that Michigan thinks is kind of like the top players. Yeah. So he was yeah. in there and I think history, he was the only 2020 guy that was. Right, history kind of bears that out, right? I mean that we've been t- we've had that we've talked about that for a long time, but I'm I'm going to go with Keegan as a guy I think really just embraces that role kind of the way it was explained to me is it's it's no longer a matter of if they uh you know there are actual like expectations now for him that extend beyond Mm -hmm. competing or seizing the job as much as it is okay now let's see what this guy can do so you know i'm gonna i'm gonna go with him actually i think i think could be quietly a really really good left guard for michigan this season yeah, that's that's a good one. Um, Zinter is as well. I think the RJ Moten one. I'm not I'm not completely like chips in on that just because we haven't seen him a ton in games. But I think I think the fact that Michigan was so impressed with him when he arrived on campus and now he's kind of starting to piece together. I mean, he's rotating with the ones when they have two returning starting safeties. So um, he's another guy. Corum I think is a good one. I'm going to go with Mike Sainer still and Cornelius Johnson. I think those are two guys who quietly, I didn't realize this until I did the story on Giles Jackson transferring. Um, They started as many games as Giles did last season. Now who officially gets the start versus who gets the most targets. um, You know, like I guess there's some, something there, but I, 
I think that those two, when I hear that they are really elevating their game, what that tells me is those are the best two receivers in spring camp. And that was not the case last season. Now, now Cornelius Johnson had a pretty a quietly strong sophomore season. I mean, he had a couple really big games, uh, had a couple quiet games as well. But, you know, there's there's a lot of potential there. And then Sane Rastill, Giles Jackson could have transferred for a million reasons. But if you're repping as like one of the number one receivers, it's rare for you to transfer to a, to a, to a program that is having similar I don't want to say rebuilding, but they're, they're, they're also facing low expectations entering uh, this upcoming season. So I think, I think, I believe that there is a Sainra still push uh, to be that number one starting slot. And I, I believe Cornelius Johnson can be just because of what we saw last season, then kind of it being co- corroborated with what was said this spring again, didn't get to see it, but that those are two guys that I'm kind of thinking, well, I really could see their path to being, um, you know, really prominent playmakers for Michigan. Final question. Obviously, we have all offseason to dig into all of this more. Position group with the biggest question marks around it following spring football. Position group that you're thinking, man, I really don't know what's going to happen there. Um, you know, more so than maybe other positions because there is some element of intrigue, but. Steve, is there a position where you really didn't have any of your answers or questions answered this spring? Uh, not maybe that, not that none of like that, none of the questions were answered, but I, I still think the interior of the defensive line is still a really, you know, I think going to be the biggest question for me, particularly if you think about the fact that we're, we're definitely going to see some three, four sets. Right. I don't think it's going to be, it's been said, right. Not exclusive. They're going to mix it up, but there will be some three, four sets. Do they have a guy on their roster right now that can, that can slow down the running game in a three, four set. I think that's going to be something, you know, to watch. I still think, and again, to kind of, I don't know, not to crap on some people, but you know, people already resigned on oh, Michigan's not going to use the portal. Uh, they are. That's one spot. I definitely still think there's a, there's a real possibility that they find somebody, they make some kind of addition there. Uh, question is, would it be a, I don't know if you're going to find any difference makers in the spring or if it'll be a depth type, but I, I do. Right. At the very least there are going to be some legitimate looks made and, and, you know, moves made to see who they can add there. So that'd probably be the spot for me. Not very original because it feels like it's been an issue since <laughs> yeah. left, but you know, it still is though, kind of the, the big spot I kind of think of just because there's so much pressure on them in a three, four to, to do a lot, you know, both in the run and the pass game. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. Cause they're not putting Taylor Upshaw as a down lineman in a three, four, you know, they're not putting, they might put Aiden Hutchinson in there, but I mean, it's, they need some big boys. They need some guys who can, who can move the line of scrimmage and set kind of set the table for the linebackers to make plays. So that's a good one. I'm going to go with linebacker. I, I kind of came in wondering if any of the, you know, Kalel Mullings, the Hill green junior Colson, I think I might be forgetting Anthony Solomon. There might be one I'm forgetting. They have a lot of 
what I would classify as like speedy, explosive potential linebackers in kind of the freshman and sophomore classes, but, but how quickly did they get on the field and help Michigan? And from the sounds of it, it, it kind of sounds like it's Josh Ross and then Mike Barrett moving from Viper to inside linebacker. And then, you know, the outside linebacker Reaper position. And then they don't really, I mean, I guess Colson Mullings, it, it didn't, it didn't seem like they had a true sense of what the, I never got a true sense of what the linebacker room is, was going to look like. Um, and so maybe I missed something here or there, but, but, you know, if I'm thinking of putting together a depth chart linebacker is the one where I'm, I'm kind of guessing. And I, you know, and the fact that one of the guys who I'm already penciling in Mike Barrett, I mean, he's switching roles quite a bit. I like his game a lot, but that's not nothing to switch from Viper to, to the inside backer position. So that'd be the one that I have the most questions about. Cause I, I, I agree with you, Steve, about the defensive line. I think if, if Mozzie Smith quote unquote puts things together, if it's, I think you could rock with Smith, Hinton, and Jeter. And, you know, kind of Welsh off rotating in there as well. Um, I don't think Michigan's going in, like, completely screwed if it's those three. Linebacker, I don't even know who the third is. And I don't know how ready some of the, you know, Kyle Green was a guy we heard a lot about last fall. Didn't see him a ton in games. I mean, they were putting Adam Shibley in. Uh you know, Kalel Mullings, similar one situation. Biggest, one of our biggest criticisms last year too, right? Yeah, like it's a defense hard to learn. So that's that's something I'm really curious about with with this new defensive scheme. Another question I didn't really get answered is is how how much do you change what you're teaching just to make sure, hey, if there's a really fast, explosive guy who can has a nose for the ball, get him on the field. So those would be that would be my biggest question mark. All right, let's open up the mailbag. Uh, just for the interest of time, I don't know if we'll answer all of them in the same detail. I think we probably covered a couple of them anyways. Um, but obviously, we always appreciate the fans passing along questions. Rugby for Life says, why is the program administration such a bleeping joke? I don't know. <laughs> I think that was, that was probably uh, waters a little hot. We asked like minutes after Xavier worthy announced that he was uh, released getting asking for release from his national letter of intent. Uh, Adam says early, early, early season predictions feels like an eight and four team. Steve, any, any sense? I didn't get to see them. How, like, no, there's no sense. How are we supposed to know? I think they're slightly better than the doomsday fans. Right. I, th- I think, there's, I think there's enough talent on this team to win more games than what people think they're going to win. I guess that's really the only thought I have right now. I have no other, nothing to go off of outside of, well, some of the individual players we heard that have looked good. I mean, there's, again, we, we, just being honest, like we didn't get like, you know, anything really this spring to, to go off of it is the most closed it's been from both a public and a private standpoint since I've been doing this. So, yeah, you know, that's about where I'm at right now. Ryan Anderson asks any transfers on the radar. Does Michigan ac- academics make it hard to go after transfers? Where does Michigan go after Xavier Worthy decommits? So one at a time here, I think Xavier Worthy do, I don't expect them to go after another receiver for right now. I don't no. expect them to go portal shopping in that sense. I'd be surprised. Uh, does, ac- does Michigan academics make it hard to go after transfers? So I think, if I could summarize it quickly, I think 
it can be difficult because not every, I don't think Michigan's straight up saying, no, you can't get in. I think a lot of it comes down to not enough credits transfer for Michigan to beat out another school. So say, for example, you're a sophomore or you just finished your sophomore year, you have 60 credits under your belt. I think you need around 60 to be eligible. If you try to transfer to Michigan and they say, sorry, only 44 of your credits are transferring. Well, and, and say another school says, ah, oh, 56 of them are, tra- are going to transfer. Well, where are you going to go? You're not going to lose a semester of your education just to be at Michigan. I mean, maybe you, maybe you sometimes do, but I don't think you do that often. And that's, as far as the admissions talk, that's the only time we've actually seen evidence. I mean, uh, Nogel Eastern talked about how he had like 90 credits and they were only going to honor like 56 of them or something like that. Um, and so ended up not being a part of Michigan's 2020, 2021 season, Steve, any transfers on the radar, any names that you are keeping an eye on names? No, I think you'll see with spring practices concluding, I think you'll see another influx of guys into the portal, but as far as specific names, no, I like I mentioned defensive, the defensive interior as being a position. I think corner is another spot, which probably should have been mentioned also uh, as far as the question mark spot, I think. Um, yeah. Yeah. They, they return a lot of people, but I don't think much is known about how good that group's going to be. Right. So those are spots, but no. Um, yeah. I mean, it, I don't think it's any secret Michigan. It's, it's different for Michigan than it is for some other programs across the country. Right. I think that's kind of known kind of the question is like how big is that difference? You know, it, it seems to tend to kind of vary. They'll, they, they'll be able to find it. I mean, they've used the portal. That's kind of the thing. Like, like there's this idea that they've just don't take transfers. I just think there, there they is two, they took two this cycle already, right? That they, they have to be, a, they're forced the football program to be a little more selective, I guess is the best way to put it. And graduate and that, transfers, Graduate transfers and freshman transfers are much, much yes. easier in terms of the credit losses. Yep. You know, that whole thing. Yep. And that, so that's not a Jim Harbaugh thing. Um, that's a university of Michigan thing. That's something that any coach who coaches here is going to have to mm-hmm. work around unless Michigan as an institution changes something. Which would um, be kind of a weird precedent. Cause then. Yeah, no, I'm not saying they you know, should or they will. I just said everybody like, that's, that's the, the only transfer to Michigan. Yeah, that's yeah. the only thing, you know, that was is going to change that. So uh, Tyler Patterson asked, could you guys expand more on Maddie Dudek? I think we did that. Wolverine Pulse asked, why can Michigan never have nice things? Um, we don't need it. I mean, I think it's similar tongue in cheek tone. Just the timing of the question was uh, I'll take the fall for that one. But definitely seems like Michigan, the hits just keep coming for for at least the football program, obviously for basketball. I mean, it seems like they're in, seems like everything goes right for basketball and nothing goes right for football. Basketball just got their team captain back like for a fifth year. (laughs) Um, And then, you know, anyway, Uh, (laughs) um, Akil Badu for Heisman says, what record would it take for Ward to move on from Harbaugh after this year? We don't know. I would guess seven and five. I mean, the, the contract was restructured. I think everyone gets hung up on the fact that Harbaugh was extended and they're like baffled at that. It is restructured, so it is way, way cheaper for Michigan to move on from Harbaugh. Big time. If thing, if they, if last year wasn't a fluke, and there isn't a bounce back this season, and now Michigan fans might say, "Well, what's a bounce back?" Probably nine and three. I know fans don't want to hear that, but if they're if they're in position with young 
offensive players they have and, and they win eight, nine games. Some of some context is relevant to me. If they have as many injuries as they had last season, I don't know how you can expect nine wins. But I think if it's like a seven and five, like a Brady Hoke type season where fans are booing and they're not showing up to games, I think Michigan put itself in position where it can say, you know, we'll pay you this very low buyout and move on. Really? You look at the contract. It was a lot of ways it was hard about betting on himself. Yeah. Right. That's the way I kind of look at it now. And, and um, yeah, cause it is, it's structured. It's easier for Michigan to get out now. I mean, granted it was expiring or whatever, like the way that this was restructured. I mean, he did Michigan a favor in a lot of ways, in my opinion, uh, cause it's a lot easier. Yeah. It's so much easier now for them to move on if they want to just a matter right. of, yeah, what that threshold is. I don't know what it is. I agree with you. I think, yeah, 500 or around 500, either, you know, five or seven, seven and five be tough to, you know, depending on what kind of candidates out there, you see Matt Campbell stayed at Iowa state for another year. Did he get an extension too? Yeah. I don't know what the buyout would be, but you got to think Michigan, one of the few programs. Well, like, they lowered the buyout to get rid of yeah anyway <laughs> well, you know what i mean though like but, oh yeah i'm with you I, I agree with you so yeah it rick jasper i'm sorry rich jasper says it's a make it or break it year for jim harbaugh feels like it i feel like he's a pretty competitive guy too i feel like he's in the camp or like this has got to be a year where where i win games um i don't think he wants to be the coach that goes oh and 10 against ohio state or you know goes four and six against michigan state um, cause usually records like that, you, you aren't Michigan's coach for very long. So, uh, certainly crazy how much the tone has changed, but, um, it feels like a make it or break it year. I think so. I, it's hard to say it's not. Yeah. Even with a tough schedule, new defect, totally new defensive unit. You know, I mean, it's, it's, um, part of me thought this whole deal might've, there might be a two year window because of all the overhauls like they made as far as yeah. the staff and the, and the scheme defensively. Well, and, but, and if they do get rid of Harbaugh, whoever's coming in is coming in with a lot of talent. Yeah, absolutely. I so mean, particularly on the offensive side of the ball, right? That's right. Yeah. That's what we kind of been saying. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I think it's, there is, there's so much gray area there. I could see it being a two year window for the reason I just stated, but yeah, if they crap the bed, you know, it's not, yeah, it's going to be, Sayonara, most likely, I would think. Yeah. Uh, Director of Common Sense says, do you think Harbaugh truly connects with the players like Tom Allen does? Is his awkward personality on the outside different with the players in private? That's an interesting question. Um, I I think he does connect with the players. I mean, talking to a few former players, I mean, they, I mean, think, I mean, there were players literally opting out that were like, if you think, if you don't think Jim Harbaugh's the guy for Michigan, something's wrong with you. So I think that, I think the fact that these players are going to bat for him as much as they are, I don't think he's for everybody. Uh, I don't think he connects with players like Tom Allen does, but Tom Allen also might connect better than anyone else in the country. But I do think, I do think Harbaugh really is more endeared toward people who speak football. I mean, he's like a, what's the phrase, a football guy. I think, I think he does connect with players. I don't think, I think his awkward personality can make some things awkward. I've heard, the rumors and rumblings about like their pep talks before like big road games were like very brief and awkward. Um, but I don't think that's, 
I don't think that's why Michigan's in the situation it's in. I, I don't think that's, I think he does connect with players. And I think if there is a disconnect, I don't think it's, it's not why they're Owen, whatever against whoever, <laughs> you know, that's not, that's not the woes Michigan has. And, and I do think players, players respond to him. Otherwise they wouldn't commit, stay with, you know, not transfer out. I mean, some players transfer out, but for the most, by and large, it's been players who were in line to be backup upperclassmen. So, and I've, I've done, I've looked at literally every transfer and I've come to that conclusion. So certainly not like Tom Allen. He is a bit of an awkward, an awkward duck, but um, I do think he is a little bit more endearing behind the scenes with, with players and people who, who really love football. Yeah. This- I think I don't think it's a bad question. It does feel like one of those they just went two and four last year and things aren't looking good. What is there? Let's find let's find like let's find yeah because it's like was he not connecting with his players when they in 2016, 2018? You know I I don't I think that's one of those. The other thing like with the attrition like he had high attrition at Stanford too. Relative to. A lot of other programs. So I don't, you know, people look at all these, the transfers, that stuff. Like, I don't really think that was kind of something that we, I like not shocking to me. Yeah. So he isn't I, someone he who's is going he, to grovel with players who might leave. Yes. I will say that that is one thing that I think he is different than like other coaches about not every coach, but, but a lot of other coaches is if a player is thinking about transferring, I think Harbon, maybe this is, a fault, maybe it's a strength, but I think his reaction is more, if you don't want to be here, I'm not going to make you be here. And so I, I think that leads to maybe a slightly higher, but if you look around the country, I mean, every school has transfers these right. days. Right. Yeah, I agree. That's a good way to put it. Cause that's, I, yeah, real no nonsense when it comes to that type of stuff, which that shouldn't surprise anybody, but overall, yeah, I think he connects with this, like you said, you talk about, I think it was Nico Collins that came out who didn't even play last year. Right. Um, he's under no obligation necessarily to go as far as he did specifically. And well, there are NFL starters doing the exact same thing. Right. So, so yeah, I, I think it's one of those things, like I said, I think it's, and it's no fault of the question asker. Cause I do think it's a fair question given that he is, he is a unique personality, right? He's just, very awkward with us. Yes, yes. So I think it's fair in that regard. I just also think it's also one of those questions that wouldn't be asked if they were going five and one and had the right. same amount. Of, <laughs> and if they had gone five and one last year and had the same amount of attrition that they've had yeah. this off season, you know, it's just one of those types of things. Uh, another question. Linda Mulig asks uh, Xavier Worthy just announced he was decommitting. We talked about that. Giles Jackson recruited him or I guess not recruited him, but was influential. Do you think those are related? Uh, I think to an extent, if Jackson was still here, would would Xavier Worthy sign? Would he have ended up in Ann Arbor? That's a tough one. Um, part of me thinks yes, but part of me, I don't know. That was a, that's a tough one. I think people, the natural inclination is to believe that he would be because they were so publicly tight on social media, uh, even before he committed to Michigan back in like been spent almost a year, you know, but I don't know. I mean, like I said, there was always kind of something going on in that recruitment, whether it be the Alabama stuff or admissions and all this crap. So I, I can't say for sure that it 
wasn't a factor, but I don't think it was as big a factor as people maybe make it out to be. Yeah, I think it's two things that happened. I don't think they are completely unrelated, but that's not what the circumstance of thing A is not why thing B happened. Um, they are not not directly was it causational or whatever. Uh, Streetcar Scholar, last question says, "Will Michigan win anything of note before my future grandchildren turn 50? Um, yeah, I don't think either of us. Oh, you think so? I mean. I'm just playing the odds here. <laughs> Future grandchildren. And you're talking like, will Michigan not win anything for the next? I don't know how old the guy is, but 60 years. That's true. If he has grandchildren right now. Yeah. yeah that, I mean, statistically. That's, okay. That's <laughs> even then though, say a grandchild's eight years old. That's 42 years. You're not going to win anything for the next 42 years. I, I not so sure about that. Okay. I, I don't disagree. I do think odds are they'll win something of no, like, I mean, you got to think at some point you're just going to even get lucky, but it is tougher to win in the North than it used to be. I think it is tougher to win at Michigan than it used to be. So I, I get the frustration. I don't think he's like, I mean, I, again, another probably tongue in cheek question, but I get, I get where fans are kind of like, what is going on? You know, what is going on? What does the future look like? How, how does, how does Michigan get out of this cycle? Cause there are schools that are stuck in these cycles. I think Nebraska, Tennessee, I think Texas and Michigan are both kind of like on the cusp. Um, USC, maybe in a similar situation. So on that note, <laughs> check out all of our stories over at the Michigan insider.com. If you like this podcast or other podcasts, uh, throw us a throw us a rating. Feel free to subscribe to it, or or I guess just follow along. Let us know. Tell your friends. For Steve Lorenz, I'm Zach Shaw. This has been the Wolverine Twenty Four Seven Podcast. Hope you had fun. Hope you learned something. We'll see you next time. Jeremy Renner returns to Paramount Plus for a brand new season of the original hit series, Mayor of Kingstown. My job is to create a balance, avoid a war. From executive producer Taylor Sheridan, co-creator of Yellowstone. There's some new players in town, and they brought the flag. And Antoine Fuqua, director of Training Day. I know it's always been a war zone, Mike, but this is next level. The mayor is back in business. Are you warning me? You don't want to find out. Mayor of Kingstown, new season streaming June 2nd, exclusively on Paramount+.